spring football game at Bridgeport Stadium coming up Saturday. Uh, first real look at the JMU Dukes 2023 version of the football team, although Kurt Signetti continues to tell us that uh, what they have in the fall may look quite a bit different than what they have this spring uh, for a variety of factors. We'll get into um, before we do, we can just hit on, you know, basically go around the horn as far as what's happening in spring sports at JMU um, football base baseball and softball rather um continue to kind of uh up and down i guess maybe is a good way to describe it they're uh you know from the middle of the pack in the Sun Belt right now they've um look awfully competitive against good teams at times and at other times uh give up a lot of runs both on both teams and um you know both teams maybe lacking that uh dominant pitcher that would help them uh take it to the next level right now um maybe both teams kind of feeling okay about the direction things are heading overall when you look at the youth on the lineups but um certainly not maybe the most exciting time for the diamond sports right now at jmu yeah you know it's been especially we'll touch on baseball it's you know it's an up and down year for them they played competitively against southern miss in game two until it went into a weather delay and then i think that was the game that went to the delay Hmm, maybe not Anyway, Tomazoki was absolutely dealing. Couldn't they couldn't hit off him really, and then they did run. He just didn't get run support. I think that's the biggest issue is when they get good pitching, they don't get run support, and then when they get run support, they don't get good pitching. Because last night at Maryland, they gave up six runs in the first inning after putting up three runs. They got in a back and forth like basically a million run mm-hmm. game. Ended up falling nineteen to twelve, I think. A lot of runs were scored in that game. Um, so obviously they have the offense; they can do it. They just need you know pitching to kind of coincide with that they used i think 11 pitchers yesterday too so a lot of arms just i think they bullpen game did at that point you know we're seeing what they got um but i mean they can score runs it's just a matter of keeping their team off the board yeah um the southern miss series for the baseball team kind of reminded me of the louisiana series for the softball team where they were very competitive in two games really had a chance to win two games against a good sunbelt team got kind of blown out in the other one but um, yeah. just not able to take that next step of winning a game or two in a series like that. Um, you know, maybe that's coming for these teams. I don't know if it's coming this year or next year or not, but, um, yeah, trying to see some development in those teams, um, you know, around, you know, the other, other spring sports. We don't talk much about golf on this, uh, podcast. No, uh, they were women's golf team was really rolling. Um, and then, then have their best, uh, weekend at the Sun Belt Championships. I think probably a little disappointing uh, with the finish there um, when you probably had to consider them among the favorites going into that with the tournaments they'd won. Um, finish middle. I think it ended up being sort of in the middle. It's like there. Middle of the pack. Yeah. Uh, so possibly, you know, we talk about the, you know, the disappointing aspects of JBU Sports right now there. Um, still not terrible by any means, any of those. Um, but one team that hasn't disappointed at all um, since the first week of the season has been the JMU lacrosse team, now winners of 14 straight, continuing to be ranked number four in the country, uh, continuing to blow out AAC competition. Uh, they step out of conference this weekend, go to Rutgers. And interestingly, they lost at Centera Park to Rutgers last year. And <clears throat> kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with the team, and turned their season around following that loss last year, and really since then have been rolling. Um, 
with the exception, you know, they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. They certainly want to go farther than that this year. They look like they're capable of going farther than that this year. But um, I do think, you know, just kind of a notable uh, fact that uh, it was the loss to Rutgers last year that kind of uh, kind of put them on this trajectory that they're on right now. Yeah, it did. And I think it's kind of ironic that, you know, the loss to that, you know, got them rolling last year. They got on a winning streak, got to the tournament, you know, they got large bid. But at that point, kind of, they needed the at-large bid because they couldn't play in the tournament or the mm-hmm. conference tournament. And at that point, it kind of looked kind of shaky at times. It was like, <laughs> are they going to make the tournament, turn it around, made the tournament? Um, obviously, that loss to Loyola stung. Then they came back this year, lost their opening game in North Carolina. Competitive game, but, you know, lost. And then all of a sudden, since then, have been on a roll. They've tied the program's winning streak of 14 games. They can break it this weekend at Rutgers and yeah they've already clinched the American Conference title a share of it you know they'll have the number one seed because even if they tied Florida they hold the tiebreaker so they'll be the number one seed in Philadelphia in a couple weeks and yeah I think they're rolling and um, it's definitely a team that looks like it's going to host at least one weekend possibly two weekends of the NCAA tournament yeah um, yeah they really do look like a potential quarterfinal host um, you know assuming they can uh, continue to win and make it that far at this point, which is a huge, a huge deal. Um, you know, anytime you um, host that um, first couple rounds, it's a big deal. We saw the advantage that Loyola had last year. Um, you know, I think, you know, JMU and Loyola, maybe there wasn't a huge difference in their, um, in the way they were playing late in the season going into the tournament. Um, but Loyola, you know, obviously took care of business um, throughout the whole season got that, you know, seeded bid and was able to host something JMU would certainly like to do this year, something they did in 2018 yep. um, on the way to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it's really, I mean, you play those home games and the size of the field, um, you really only have to win, assuming that you're going to probably get a bye in the first round as, you know, a top seed. You only have to win a couple games at home to make the final four and, as they saw in 2018, once you get to that Final Four weekend, anything can happen. <laughs> so a lot like basketball. They were not the favorites going into the Final Four in 2018 and, you know, beat uh, some powerhouse programs in uh, North Carolina and Boston College. Exactly. I mean, it's a lot, it's almost like, you know, basketball Final Four at that point where, you know, once you get to that stage of the tournament, it's anyone's game. I mean, everyone's there for a reason. So I think this is a couple big weeks for JMU lacrosse. Obviously, you know, they probably – I mean – they're in at this point probably the tournament as an large team even if they lost their last three games you know these two mm-hmm. games and then the uh, tournament game but i think you know at this point they they know they're in they want to host and i think you win out when these last two regular seasons two in the tournament they're definitely i mean number four right now the possibility they could be the third seed there's also a possibility to get passed up and be seated fifth which would kind yeah. of put a record in things i mean they'd still host the first weekend but after that they'd go on the road yeah there is um, they're probably you know at this point they're rooting for Florida and the games that they're uh, mm-hmm. not playing them root for them meet them in the uh, AAC championship and get another top ten win under your belt to kind of uh, get one last boost to that resume because uh, you know frankly the conference teams you know and Rutgers will be you know an okay game this weekend out of conference as a Big Ten team um, but you know what JMU's done is if for the most part they've played the best teams on their schedule already. They took care of business against them. And now they're just crushing lesser matched teams, which you like to see if you're in the situation. Um, but getting that one more game against Florida, 
who's currently ranked in the top 10. If you can get that game and if you can win that game, that's big uh, for trying to get that top four seed. It is. I think it, it is, especially if they play Florida. You know, in that in the American uh, Championship game, um, because there is a possibility you get passed up and North Carolina can end up being four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, North Carolina does have that head-to-head against you. And they um, do have a better quality of schedule they play, even though there's a couple of losses on there. I mean, yeah. they lost to, what, Northeast, Northwestern and their Syracuse probably they're going to yeah. lose to. But. There's there's not as much of a, a power conference dynamic in mm-hmm. uh, lacrosse, especially women's lacrosse, as there is in some other sports. But you do kind of can take a look at it. If JMU wins this weekend, they're going to be, what, 7-1, 8-1, something against, against it's the Big Ten yeah. and ACC which are good, good conferences, and they'll beat. They've multiple. also outscored the Big Ten by like yeah. 10 they'll beat multiple ranked teams of that, and you know that one loss came first week of the season, and we all know in every sport a lot of things can change after the first week of the season. Um, so they putting themselves in good, in a good situation. Um, you know, we will have plenty of more to say about lacrosse in the weeks to come, and you know. Uh, late April and May, maybe um, very much about the lacrosse team as they, you know, try to do what they're what they're setting out to do. But this week, I think all eyes are on Bridgeport Stadium. We're gonna get some fans back in there. We're gonna get, you know, basically our first real look at the JMU football team, which is, you know, has become an annual thing where we don't see much in practice. And what we do see is, uh, by design, not super telling. Um, we get our first look. And obviously, you know, number one topic um, at this time almost every year is quarterback and what they're going to do with that, especially as Jamie's hit the transfer portal the last two years at quarterback. I think, you know, the real question that will, you know, maybe start to get answered is, you know, one, is it in fact Jordan McLeod's job to lose or is it? more of an actual competition with Alonzo Barnett than it was last year, even though it was still called a competition last year. It was pretty clear who the number one quarterback was. Yeah, I think that it's it's probably a competition between the two of them, but there's two ways we can really figure it out. Is one, you look mm. at just the style of play on the field. Two is how many reps they get with the ones because they're going to split. So the way this game is working, it's offense versus defense, purple and white. But they're going to split them between the ones and the twos mostly. I mean – You'll see some guys that are not playing, so they're going to have some some guys mixed in. But, I mean, really, you're going to have the ones against the one defense, twos, offense against twos defense. And I think we'll see how much they really switch because, you know, last year, Billy Atkins, first play, 75-yard touchdown when he was out there with the ones. So, but then he, only, he didn't really play with the ones that much last year, I don't believe. I mean, Tutson Taylor played with them a ton, especially in that second quarter of the game. So, that's going to be the telling part. Also, just seeing how many reps he gets. Obviously, I'd assume mm-hmm. those two get the most reps. You're going to see <coughs> Billy Atkins and Brett Griffiths get mixed in a little bit. I mean, Alonzo mm-hmm. threw the ball, like, I think, four times last year. I'm trying to find it right now. But, yeah. I mean, that, that's going to be the way to tell. I think it is a competition. I know some of some people on Twitter um, don't believe that. But mm. I think it is, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my you know personal opinion would be that, yes – if you're going to make a guess right now, uh, and you know, I've actually, you know, had to do this pencil in a projected depth chart and, uh, <clears throat> have Jordan McLeod number one and Alonzo Barnett number two. But I do think it is much closer to an actual 
competition than it was at this point last year. Uh, even yeah. even keeping in mind that Todd Sateo looked okay in the spring game, and he looked okay in the first half of the season opener against Middle Tennessee State. And then it wasn't really till the second half that we're like, oh, gosh, this guy's making some throws that we hadn't seen before. Um, you know, keeping that in mind, um, you know, we hadn't seen him quite separate himself as much, and it still was pretty clear, clear he was a number one. This will be our first real chance to get any kind of, like, judgment on the difference between McLeod and, you know, <clears throat> McLeod and Barnett, but then, you know, everybody else too. Yeah, I found the stats from last year's game. Santeo threw 15 of 20 for 213 yards and a touchdown. Atkins went 5 or 9 for 138. 75 of those came on one play and a touchdown, and Barnett went 4 for 6 for 17 yards. So, tells you usage was a factor, and it played, and, you know, you see what happened. So, I think we'll have to see what happens this time around with that on that note. But, yes, quarterback mm-hmm. will always be the battle. Everyone's going to worry about it, but I will promise you right now that we will not have an answer on who the starter is after the game tomorrow oh, or Saturday. <clears throat> Certainly not. And I'll promise that. I like, could promise you that in, like, a month ago. I think I did, actually. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's other spots that we can look at, too, on the field. But, yeah, obviously, quarterback's going to be the one that most people keep their eye on, which, I mean, mm-hmm. he's the guy who touches the ball every play. Yeah, I, I may be surprised if we have a, a, a real answer before the week of the Bucknell game, but um, you it's, never know. It's Bucknell. It could, it could be could be a different situation. Yeah. Um, and then we have the, the requisite quarterback conversation here. There's plenty of other things to kind of, like, take a look at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, defensively, they bring in bring back so many players, um, but some of them won't be on the field. Um, Saturday, you know, obviously we won't see uh, Isaac Ukwu. We don't. He's got nothing to prove. Uh, yeah, so not 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 practice. a big deal. Um, you know, then somebody like you know a Brent Austin um, is a guy who maybe could have used those reps, but <clears throat> also at the same time, he's a guy you want to be healthy. Um, he's I don't know if, if we've uh, actually had that discussion while recording about you know his post on social media where it looks like he had a surgery. Turns out that's probably not as big a deal as maybe it looked like initially. Um, yeah, it was basically correct what happened last year, which is his kneecap popped out of his knee basically last year during the year. He missed a few weeks, came back, played, was healthy. Happened again during camp, and Signetti said, you know what? Take care of it. He'll be fine yeah. for He'll be fine for fall. I mean, honestly, if you look at the cornerback room, he's probably going into the, into the fall. He's probably the thir- third on the depth chart. Chauncey Logan won. I'm going to put Trayvon – Jones from Elon too. A lot of people forget he's coming, but he's on the way. And I'll put Brent Austin three. So I think you know he 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 could use the reps, but I think the ones in the fall are a lot more, a lot more you know, uh, in, in significant than right now. Yeah. Um. So on the defensive side of the ball, then what else is the key things to look for? Um. Where there's there's many known known commodities. Uh, yep. In a lot of spots, you know, along the defensive line, you got your two best linebackers coming back. Um, you know, you got veteran safeties. You know, really, defensively, it's not a huge mystery on this team. So what do you look for from them in the spring game? Yeah, there's two two spots. You look at, you know, Emmanuel Bush, Marshall transfer comes in. He's going to, you know, take the spot of Jamari Edwards on the other Marshall transfer. So that's one. He's a big body guy, first and second down defensive lineman. You put him in when... You're stopping the run. He's a, takes up a lot of room. <clears throat> Stops the run. I think that's one. And thing two, you know, Aiden Fisher. I wrote about him today. Um, you know, 
he's worked his way into this spot that's really interesting and and you know he's a third string you know second string mike linebacker probably third total in the depth chart behind you know torres jones and, and jalen walker um signetti said there's not much that separates him from jones and walker he's equal i think he's equally as fast you know as good i think the only thing separating him is you know he's got one year less of college football than those two and I think right now he's got an opportunity to push for a starting spot. I wouldn't say Torres Jones' job is on the line, but I wouldn't say, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think he gets put behind him, but, you know, Aiden Fisher is having a heck of a spring, and if he carries this into the fall, he could create a competition at linebacker. Yeah. Um, you know, history has shown us that, you know, even, you know, guys who you would think – are coming back as seasoned veterans and have played really well in their positions that, you know, their jobs aren't necessarily always safe in these situations. Um, you know, blanking on the specific example I was thinking of, but, you know, <laughs> we, we've seen that before. Uh, you know, even, you know, look at the running back room. Um, you know, somebody like... Uh, I mean, Latrell Palmer got, yeah. in some games, didn't get many carries. I mean, his carries were passed on to Kalon Black and, and things like that. So, I mean, there's a, kind of an example. I mean, that room yeah. is really by committee anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's an example. I mean, Kalon, yeah. I think, has passed him on the depth chart, and he probably is RB1 going into the fall. Yeah, and in, and in not necessarily, you know, some fumbles and things, but not necessarily uh, because of bad play. By, no, and the um, fumbles he had, it was a wet ball. It, like, really yeah. wasn't on him that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, that that is – Sorry about some technical difficulties with the microphone, but hopefully got that worked out. But, you know, as we were saying, um, yeah, you, the the running back room is a, a good example. Charles Palmer, a guy who rushed for almost 1,000 yards one year and then is, you know, <clears throat> not even a solid number two on the depth chart the next year. Um, <clears throat> example, um, not not that, you know, I'm predicting, you know, lack of playing time for Torres Jones or anything, but uh, – it, it is a situation where we could see um, somebody who was, you know, really a standout last year um, still have to work his way into the uh, starting lineup. Uh, another guy who gets mentioned a lot, I think, uh, when people come out and talk, practice and stuff, uh, as potentially having a bigger role, uh, Jamery Cromer, um on the defensive line, uh, maybe getting a little bit more into his uh, – more more comfortable position for him where he moved around the defensive line last year. Uh, so that'd be another guy I'm kind of looking to see um, if he's making plays as, as much as I'll probably let, you know, it's not like he's going to go uh, lay a big hit on quarterback or anything, but uh, <laughs> not tomorrow or not on Saturday, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's back in his comfortable spot. He was kind of that Swiss army knife on the D line that basically played where they needed him to play. And he did a good job last year. And now it's his final year. And, He'll be back in that. I think they're going to keep him on the end now, kind of more where he's used to playing. I mean, obviously, opposite of Isaac Luku, Mikhail Kamara, Jalen Green, those four defensive ends are there, you know, they're strong. And I was like, you know, when you look at the, def- the deep line depth chart, it's just deep. They lost one player, replaced him pretty quickly, and, you know, James Carpenter is a madman in the middle. So I think that, yeah, that that, that part of the defense is deep. Um, probably the deepest part of the defense, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, we can switch back over to offense because there's obviously uh, ten other positions on the field other than quarterback, which we already oh, discussed. <laughs> yeah, um, and five of those are right up front in the in the offensive line. Uh, I think you know 
if you have to be comfortable about anything uh, with this program right now is I'm trying to think, you know, you're, you're going to have a new starting running back, new starting quarterback, several new wide receivers, but I'm struggling to think of a team that would have ever brought that had a good offense the year before that would have ever brought back the entire two deep on the offensive line and struggled the next year. That would be rare. (laughs) Yeah, it would be really rare. I mean, they're bringing back everybody. I mean, on Saturday, you're not going to see the whole starting line, most likely, offensively. I mean, Nick Kidwell has been limited. Um, So has Tanner Morris. Both have been limited through practice. Tyler Stevens a little bit at times, too. So I'd imagine we'll see them. Don't know how many drives they'll play in this this two-quarter game. But, you know, Signetti really likes the guys behind him, too. You've got Mm -hmm. Carter Miller, who was an absolute, you know, stud coming out of high school last year. You've got, you know, Josh Toner, who played spot snaps last year really well, and and they like uh, Wesley Bostic, too. So I think, you know, they'll be fine there. Um, But, yes, that's a key success. They played really well last year as a unit. They're all a year older. Only one of them departs after this year, Nick Kidwell. The rest of them can come back again. So Mm -hmm. that might be the most solid unit on this JME team. It has a lot of competition behind them, don't get me wrong, but that just makes them better, and, you know, in in a – in a very physical conference that they play in, you need good offensive linemen. They showed they could play the game. Yeah, and, you know, I guess, you know, one thing we'll have to keep an eye on after the spring game uh, is if there aren't any departures in a situation like that where you know the second-team guys can play elsewhere. I, I haven't heard anything, you know, really <clears throat> along those lines. And <clears throat> there are injuries um, – there's injuries right now. There's possibility of injuries in the future. They can kind of, you know, rotate guys in and out. I mean, it got Josh Toner reps, and basically it seems like he's going to play in the fall no matter what. He's kind yeah. of that swing guy on the offensive line, but, you know, injuries <laughs> got him on the field, and now it seems like he's going to stay on the field in some capacity. And, you know, you talk about talked about Carter Miller. And he kind of hinted toward there could be a battle at center going in the mm-hmm. fall. Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, uh, you know, Tanner Morris has been – great uh another example of what we we're talking about before you know tanner morris is a guy who replaced a starter late in the year Going this freshman the year yeah <laughs> um started all last year and now is in a competition again for for his job uh, that's the kind of uh you know depth they're establishing as they get to the 85 scholarship limit um and you know that depth up front is this was the defensive line but you know at the loss at louisville you know, that was one thing that uh, Signetti pointed to was, look, they're just a lot deeper than us right now. They can, you know, wholesale substitutions on the defensive line based on situations or just, like, to get fresh guys out there. And they Louisville did that. Um, you know, I, I doubt you'll see JMU just throw a whole new offensive line in at once. Uh, it's a but little, di- a little different situation, but they could. <laughs> yes, they could. Uh, you know, or, you know, they could. They could do it easier on the defensive line. It would yeah. not be a problem yeah um and then you know that's the growth of the program that you're seeing right now um is getting that kind of depth up front um size and depth um kind of giving you the possibility of taking the next step after a really solid debut fbs season yeah i mean depth is the problem that you hinted toward at louisville because uh you know it really showed on special teams Mm -hmm. um because they had so many, you know, defensive backs getting hurt, linebackers getting hurt, tight ends getting hurt, all the guys that play on special teams. Yeah. I think that they've really 
built those rooms up. We haven't talked about tight end yet, but they brought in two new ones. They're going to have two high schoolers coming in in the fall. They also transitioned Jordan Funk to tight end. So tight end room got deep quick. And then you look at mm. linebacker. We touched on it, but there's four of them there <clears> that can play right now with Trent Hendrick as well. We hadn't talked about him. So, yeah, I think they've done a good job at getting deeper. But then again, this team could look a whole lot different as Signetti hinted. I mean, portal's yeah. open between now and April 30th. He's got the next week basically to, for people to jump in. We've already seen two guys jump in the last couple days, and so we'll see what happens. Yeah, possibly a good sign that uh, no more than two and no real key players – before the spring game, but you never know. Um, I mean, Skylar Martin yeah. was a very, a very highly talented <clears throat> player, played special teams a lot. Yeah. But I think that just shows what Aiden Fisher mm-hmm. can do and Trent yeah. Hendrick if you you're beating a guy like that. Yeah, true, true. Um, I guess you mentioned the special teams and the depth too. Um, you know, not all these guys are guys we're going to see on Saturday because some of them aren't even on campus yet. But uh, they continue to kind of add depth to a lot of positions, like you know, wide receiver, uh, running back. Um, that you know, guys, you can use on special teams, like uh, you know, some talented, uh, talented players. Uh, you know, both both Knight brothers. I mean, are talented players who I don't know what opportunity they're going to have to get snaps this year, but maybe we'll see them. You know, in some special team situations, things like that. Uh, you never know. I mean, if you mirror, hold on to the ball. Yeah, you mirror Knight. Who knows? Like, um, you know what the wide receiver room might end up looking like when everybody is on campus. Um, and the dust settles. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's got to be pretty wide open given the loss of production from last year. Um, but, you know, you just <clears throat> look at the depth they're adding. I would think, like you said, that should show up on special teams pretty pretty heavily. I think that's going to be the, the place where people see it the most next year is that even if the guy gets hurt, it won't cause too big of a deal. I mean, it's going to, you know, you don't want to see a guy get hurt, but when you've got 85 scholarships and you, you devote some of that to special teams guys, I think mm-hmm. it works out in the end. And special teams, you got to win that to win the game. You know, even if, if your offense ain't move the ball, then you need to be able to, you know, make things happen special teams wise. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there, though. But yeah. I, I think I think they're comfortable where they're at. Obviously, sounds like they're going to hit the portal pretty hard, but I mean, between now and then, we never know. Yeah. And, and moving from FCS to FBS, that's one of the, th- differences you see because you know at the fcs level jmu is making huge plays on special teams because you know they were the one that had faster, guys bigger bigger guys. faster stronger guys playing special teams um you know you can go back really to all of last year not only did jmu not really ever have like that huge play special teams wise that kind of broke out you know there, there were not many there wasn't very many huge returns blocked kicks things they like didn't that block and Actually, it happened against them, you know, yes. far too often. Multiple times. Yeah, far too often. So, um, you know, maybe we'll see a difference there. Um, you know, you're talking about a team that's potentially potentially 10-1 last year if you clean up the special teams things, even with the struggles they had offensively for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, if you have special teams, the only game you're losing is Louisville. And they yeah. into, I think they went – don't think you're going to get anyone to say it, but if you look at the play calling and you go back and watch it, that was a game they went into basically not lose bodies. <laughs> they were already pretty yeah. like pretty thin. So that was a game where you're playing with a quarterback who's playing with three different injuries mm-hmm. and just gutting it out, did what he could, 
It worked for the first half. Yeah, it was particularly once it became like a two, three score game. It was, yeah, it was definitely different. It was, it was get out of town <laughs> type of game. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Marshall and um, yeah, you take Georgia Southern wins were certainly winnable with flawless special teams. Oh, you have flawless special teams. JMU's winning Our, the last minute at Georgia Southern by a touchdown. And Marshall doesn't get the momentum that it did mm-hmm. on a blocked extra point. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that that's not even mentioning the potential of like actually making some big plays on special teams yourself. Yeah, which, this uh, is just minimizing mistakes. But yeah. I think that they've learned from them, and you know, it's year one. If there's a year to do it, it's that year. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, couldn't go anywhere anyway. So. Yeah. Um. You know, Jamie, I think you know you look around the Sun Belt. There's there's a lot of intrigue. A lot of teams don't know exactly what they have at this point. But I think JMU's got to be considered one of the most interesting teams in the Sun Belt just to get a look at in the spring based on, you know, preseason rankings and uh, ratings and everything, you know. Big when Game it, Boomer when, puts they, it number one. Yeah. So if, if you want to know, Big you know, Game or, Boomer or the, is the guy. Yeah, or, you know, the, the way too early top 25 on ESPN and stuff. Yeah. When it's people, when it's the human elements in there, uh, I think people have a lot of faith in JMU. The computer um, doesn't like JMU right Yeah, now. which – you know, why should they? They have no returning production statistically on Offenses. offense. Yeah, I mean, well, you you got to give Reggie Brown some credit, but after that, it's Peyton Hunter on, on the wide receiver. He had one catch of fourteen yards. Yeah, you got a quarterback who hasn't put up any stats in a couple of years. You got you know running backs who We're we all know are good, but didn't put up huge numbers because they're playing against, behind somebody. Um, New tight ends, but that's part of what I was talking about too. Is like the offensive line when you've got the entire two deep coming back in the offensive line. It's fairly – and the track record you've had with quarterbacks and wide receivers, and you know the running back room was deep. Yeah. I think you can kind of ignore the computer ranking to a degree because it's just – it's basically, like, not enough data to plug in to, like, accurately rate JMU at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess we'll find out uh, September 2nd or Bucknell. But, yeah, I yeah. think that this year is a very interesting year, one, because of that, two. We'll see what – Kurt Zignetti and Tito Sinceri got they've they've turned around two different quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the past two years. Now they get another uh, another one with Jordan McLeod, who this time they can keep him for two years. Yeah, oh, well, most likely. And technically, he's got one year of eligibility. Plus, he can apply for a medical waiver. Don't get it. The NCAA likes to give out waivers these days. So, yeah, I think you know that's that. So, I mean, heck, even if he's not the guy, then you're putting a guy who's got three more years of eligibility left in the game. So, yeah. I mean, I think either way is going to work uh, in that kind of scenario. So. Be exciting spring game. It's gonna wrap up spring practice, and then uh, I guess we'll have this conversation early August. Yeah, so we'll wrap up the uh, the spring football preview edition of the Purple and Bold podcast. But keep an eye out. We'll do another one Saturday from Bridgeport Stadium. Give you our first quick reaction to what we saw. Um, you know, if you can't be in the stadium. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to give you the entire rundown of what happened, our impressions, um, your f- your first real in-depth analysis of JMU football for the 2023 season. Um, so keep an eye out for that coming out Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. And in the meantime, thank you for listening to this edition of the Purple and Bold podcast. I'm Shane Metlin here in the studio, as usual, with Noah Fleischman. Uh, Thanks for listening.